This is not a good time. <laughs> She'll die without me. Don't you see? You're killing me. <laughs> She's fine. She's a little sick. Move aside, sir. This is not the best time. <laughs> you can't stop our love. Yeah. <laughs> Getting out of hand. You almost had Doppler on that. (laughs) (laughs) Mystery Maniacs is a comedy recap podcast dedicated to mystery TV. Each week we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. This week, Murdoch Mysteries, let us ask the maiden. Season 2, episode 11. I'm Sarah. And I'm Mark. This is a spoiler podcast. We're going to ruin it and tell you who did it. And if you let your kids uh, put on arsenic makeup, they're old enough to listen to the podcast. If they survive. I guess. Their arsenical makeup. Arsenical? Before we dive in. That's that's as clumsy a word as co-religious. I think that's a real word. It is a real word. Arsenical. Arsenical? Yeah. (laughs) Don't put your pickle in the arsenic. (laughs) Okay. That's not safe for kids. It's <laughs> not safe for anybody. anybody. <laughs> you got to reel it back there, son. Our snickle bread is even worse. It's different than pumpernickel, we'll that's for a, sure. We put a pumpernickel and then we put the, the butter on it. And then and, and, and a little a, bit of arsenical. A nice, a nice piece of... Uh, um, uh, <laughs> I'm worried about what you're going to say next. Roast beef and then some... I don't know, some vegetables. And then on the top bread, you put the arsenical. Mm. It's better than being kicked in the arsenic. I guess. Okay. Now that you got that out of your system. Speaking of nice things that people have said about us. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. <laughs> oh, we're punchy already, ladies Birdie. and gentlemen. We're talking about Birdie on, on the Reddits. Ginger Birdie. Thank so we're you. Not, we're not going to get into this other no. than to say somebody said something extremely nice about us. Yes. This is what they said. Mark and Sarah are the driftiest of badgers, the mallowest of midsummers, the littlest of worthies. They are the Tom to our Jones and the John to our winter. We eat plumber's relish for them and wash it down with a glass of poisoned wine from the vinea. Why did I even go so far to say is we give up our unacknowledged child fathered by the Lord of the Manor for them. That's what? the nicest thing anybody's ever said. What a spectacularly nice thing to say. <laughs> Thank you, Birdie. That's so nice. And truly a maniac compliment. Yes. Fantastic. Right on. If there were imaginary fake coins on Reddit anymore, because mm. there's not anymore, I would give them all to you. That's saying something, because before they disappeared, we had a lot. Yes. Are okay. you ready to talk about Let Us Ask the Maiden? Let Us Ask the Maiden, original air date, April 14th, 2019, 2009, sorry. Directed by Harvey Crossland, written by Jason Sherman. By the way, I realized I got to be careful while I'm in Canada because mm. when I'm in next, I think I think it's the week after next. The new season of Murdoch starts in Canada. Mm-hmm. Now we're 
if you watch Murdoch and Acorn, season 16 is done. Mm -hmm. So we're all up to date. Mm -hmm. But Canada gets new episodes. Oh, you can't be watching TV when you're I there. can't be watching TV and see like... This week on Murdoch, blah, 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 blah. You see a trailer and you're going to be like, oh, that ruins everything. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of ruining everything, September 22nd, yesterday, because we're recording on the 23rd, was Johnny Harris's birthday. Aw, happy birthday, Crabtree. You what do you think we should give Johnny Harris for his birthday? I don't know, but he's incredibly brave in this episode. So um, a golden billy club. Yeah, he. Get like, back here, you big bastard. <laughs> He goes after that Jersey guy who's ginormous. Yeah, and and totally calls him a bastard. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm giving him, because he's deserved it. So guess how old Mr. Harris is? 40. 47 yesterday. Really? Yep. Looks great for 47. He's almost as old as I am. He looks great for 47. Yeah, he does. Absolutely spectacular. He's awesome. You ready to talk but about But he was just a wee lad in this episode. Yes. Are you ready to I talk about the rabbis? I can't that guy a bastard. I can. He's after him. Okay. So this, as an overview, is an episode about Jewish culture. And there are things in Jewish culture that are different than, than the main character's culture. To be fair, it's really about one greedy rap bastard who just happens to be Jewish. It really has nothing to do with it. It's... It but is it's set, color for the episode. Yes. It is set amongst Jewish immigrants in Toronto. And I would have to say done not in a heavy handed, but a respectful way. Respectful I think. way. Absolutely. Like, I, I think that Julia and the rabbi are probably just going to hang out now. I think they're probably just friends. I mean, once you've cut somebody up together, you got a, a bond. I, I do think. like how they start as somewhat adversarial and then realize that they're both really caring for the dead. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. So Nathan Siebold quickly collapses. Yep. During prayer after being a bit sweaty. Yes. He's very sweaty. <laughs> he's very sweaty and spits up some blood and then he's dead. I, I really wish it's unfortunate, but the idea is that he's reading a text that is heretical. The Zohar. The Zohar, which is unfortunate because I love all that stuff. It's like, interesting, but it is a total red herring in this episode. Yeah. It's not important at all. And there are tons of Jewish scholars and scholarship around all the weird and interesting things about Hebrew manuscripts. Mm -hmm. The history of Hebrew manuscripts is really interesting. It's absolutely fascinating without it being like the weird numerology or anything like that. No. All that, that the story of the... The birth of those books being brought then into Christianity is mm -hmm. super interesting. For example, during um, when these men are praying, you notice the little the headbands that they're wearing and the yeah. arm wraps that they're wearing. Do yeah. you know what those are? Those have those are little boxes that have Torah readings and tiny them. scrolls in them. Yeah, yeah, they're called tefillin. Yeah, and they're bigger on uh, by and large. Well. That's kind of a pun. Yeah. On average, they are larger now than they used to be because the practice of this, they call it microcalligraphy. Oh, that's super That was necessary to copy these long passages onto tiny scrolls that, they, that would then be put into those boxes. Because there's, I want to say three in each of the boxes. Wow. And it's a long passage. But that practice of microcalligraphy is kind of going away. So the boxes had to be made slightly larger to oh. hold the new the scrolls oh that's interesting i saw on the british 
a Jewish museum website, they have kind of an evolution of Teflon and their sizes. Oh, that's super interesting. Microcalligraphy. Microcalligraphy. There's a, ha- a hobby for you. Yeah. Not. No. Did you have the patience to do that? No. Me either. No. You know what else is dead? <laughs> the plant. The plant. <laughs> Called it. <laughs> It is a symbol of the relationship. Yes. Tis died. Dear Sarah, click, 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 click. I'm going to read out what I'm writing as I'm writing it. Mm-hmm. That, that That's bad writing. Well, better than to make us read what's being typed, because that's really annoying. No, but the easy middle ground is to do a voiceover. Yeah. But they don't do any voiceovers in the rest of the show. No. So. But Murdoch does not know how to write a letter. Yes. <laughs> Wow, what a letter. He knows how to write a legal document or treaties or something, but not an informal, heartfelt letter. It's it's like when you read, sometimes because of our jobs, we interact with extreme academics Mm -hmm. through email. Yes. And they write email differently than normal people write email. Can you include any words that have fewer than five syllables in your email? I have yes. to look up these words to find out. Oh, you're you're having trouble with uh, the pedagogy. Okay. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> you can't figure out that quiz. Okay. Yeah. Got it. By the way, Oliver, too, is the typewriter he's using. They're about two grand uh, for a completely refurbished one right now. It's beautiful. It, it's really pretty. Hand-painted, gorgeous. It's got the wings. Tom shows up and he's like, I'm an expert in love letters. And Murdoch says, well, I'm writing an apology. And he's like, uh, anyway, um, <laughs> we know he's not real good at apologies. <laughs> Just get her some flowers. Did you notice what was behind Murdoch? No. There's a justice statue. That's oh, a new thing. on the windowsill. Yeah. Yeah. What's on the other end of the windowsill? I don't know. Maybe a little sign that says, don't use your girlfriend as bait. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a, a. A box that has a meter and some knobs on oh, the front yeah. of it. I don't yeah. know exactly what it some is. Some Murdochy Murdoch thing. Yeah, it's probably something he invented in a different episode. There's been a murder in the ward. Yeah. So the ward is an actual reason area in Toronto. It's not called the ward anymore. Mm-hmm. It is between Dundas and Queen Street, between Young and University. And historically, is it a place where Jewish immigrants settled? Absolutely. Was it called the ward before that? No, it was called the ward then. Okay. Um, and then and where it is now is the west side of the Eaton Center, which is a giant mall in downtown mm-hmm. Toronto. Nathan Phillips Square, where the skating rink is, and the Newtown Hall. Oh, when I hear the word ward, I think hospital. So I don't, I don't know where that would come from. The hospital is north of there, the original hospital. No, I just mean ward to me refers to part yeah. of a hospital. Yeah. So what happened was uh, the Jewish immigrants settled in the ward. And then when it became too crowded, they moved west to an area of Spadina and Dundas. Mm-hmm. And then the Chinese immigrants moved into the ward. Ah, So there's a lot of stuff in the ward about Chinese immigrants as well. And then what happened was the Jewish immigrants then moved northwest from there. And the Chinese immigrants moved from the ward to Dundas, where the second largest Chinatown in the world is now. I'm guessing that the ward was a low-income area, so immigrants would, would move there because they could afford it. And then as they get better integrated... 
and become more successful, they can afford to move away from there. Yeah. It's and to- then the next group of immigrants who needs a low income it's place. Totally. To live. That's totally the way. It's like a pit stop. Yeah. Yeah. So the rabbi says that the book killed Nathan. Yes. And I'm like, that it made him insane. I'm like, this is good. This is good stuff. Like, is this an occult book? Is oh, it a super secret, powerful book? No, it, it doesn't really matter. It's just commentary on the Torah, and we don't get to know anything. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Unless maybe he licked it. Maybe. Maybe. We find out later. Maybe if he licked it, it might have hurt him. It maybe. But he probably didn't. So when Julia comes to take the body, Nathan's body, to the morgue, they want to stop her from taking him because the Jewish tradition is that when somebody dies, they should be buried as quickly as possible and their body should be intact. Yeah. Right? So you, you stay up, you sit Shiva with the body. They keep it company because the understanding is that you need to protect it from evil spirits invading the body. And and then it's, but it's all a sign of respect. And so for her to come and take the body is like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That yeah. goes against our tradition. But as soon as the rabbi understands that she knows the rules, he's like, huh, okay, yeah. let's see how you do. I, I, and I like that a lot. I like that she knows the rules. And I like that he understands, he acknowledges right away that she knows the rules. So maybe she's all right. Murdoch knows some of the rules too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Though I don't understand why they don't cover his body when they carry him out of the building. No, they should probably do that. So that Devra can dive from a, a carriage and freak out. Yes. Why is Goldberg taking her around in a carriage anyway if she's so sick? The whole Goldberg Devra thing bothers me. I realize that it's far more likely that there are many more relationships like this at this time, mm-hmm. but it still bothers me. So the woman who jumps out of the carriage and freaks out over the uncovered body is Devra Bagelman. Yes. Who may or may not be engaged to Nathan and may or may not be engaged to Goldberg, the doctor taking care of her. Yes. Who may or may not be a jerk. Yes. At this point, we don't know. We just don't know. <laughs> Though... Every time I hear Goldberg, I just think of Goldberg, you know, the former wrestler, Goldberg. Yes. Who's a very different guy. Yes, he's a very different guy. He's he's more like Jersey, the guy in the factory. He's more like him, (laughs) yes. And very bald and big and tan and all that muscle-bound stuff. You know what time it is? Oh, it's time for Enid to show up. No, no, no. Before Enid shows up, it's Bracken Reed's Racist Minute. Well... What do you expect from Brackenreed? He's actually not as bad as I thought he was going to be. He's not as bad as we thought, but he had to get the fresh off the boat, old guard from England, all that stuff in there. Yeah. There's two kinds of Jews. Be careful. You don't get them mixed up. Murdoch's like, what are you even talking about? Don't worry about it. My next note is stupid Enid is stupid. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Well, so Murdoch has sent her flowers. He actually took Tom's advice. Yes. So she shows up so they can go out for tea. What? <sighs> I thought at the end of the last episode, Murdoch had realized Enid was not for him. Yeah. Is he apologizing to her because he he does want to rekindle their relationship? Or does he just genuinely feel bad that he hurt anybody's feelings and wants to fix it? I think this. I think Murdoch loves Julia. I think he's frustrated because... Julia said that her opinion of him has changed, okay? So then he went to Rebound Town, Mm -hmm. and then now he feels that he took advantage of Enid. But I also think there's a little misogyny here in Murdoch where he is like, 
this person doesn't like me, so I'm going to do everything I can to make this person like me again, regardless if I like her or not. Is that a misogyny thing? Is it because she's a woman you think he feels I, that way? I think it's If a, he had offended another man that he genuinely thought was an okay person, wouldn't he feel as bad? I think it's that... I mean, he wouldn't send him flowers, obviously. That would be I weird, think it's, but... <laughs> like, it's not toxic or anything like that, but it's that subtle... So you, you agree with me that he's genuinely deep down more concerned with having offended her and wants her to forgive him and like him as a person rather than trying to win her back in some romantic way. Yes, yes. That he's more motivated by having offended her. I worry about you because I'm stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad she brought jewelry. Yeah. So he buys her flowers. Does she then rush out and buy a St. Michael medal or did she already have it to give to him and just hadn't given it to him yet? I have in my notes, I should apologize for something. No, you shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he should apologize for using her as bait. Yeah. Okay. And he did already. And he said, I was sorry. They have no reason to be having tea. No, except his ego is hurt because she hates him. That's why I think it's the little. Though she doesn't, obviously. That little misogyny to it. I just think, I thought she was gone. (laughs) I know. Why is she back? I don't know. No. <laughs> George makes a dollar twenty a day. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. So they go to see Devra, and Goldberg answers the door. This is not a good time. <laughs> <laughs> She'll die without me, don't you see? You're killing me. <laughs> She's fine. She's a little sick. Move aside, sir. This is not the best time. <laughs> you can't stop our love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's just sick. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like Murdoch and, Go- and Crabtree are just going to stand outside and go, oh, okay, well, then we'll come back at some other time. Like, Don't worry about it. What was the direction they gave the actress who plays Deborah? Exorcist. <laughs> okay, we're going to spritz you with some water so you look good and sweaty. All yep. right? Now, flop around like a fish. Yep. Scream. Yep. Say mysterious things that could mean something Can't that don't. Stop our love. <laughs> She'll die without you. I like bacon. Put my face cream on. I need more face cream. Keep it right next to my bed. I don't have cholera. I'm just pissed. (laughs) Yeah, where's the line between cholera and genuine anger? I don't have cholera. I'm possessed. Speaking of which, they say that maybe she's possessed by a Dybbuk. A Dybbuk, yep. Had you heard of a Dybbuk before? Uh, I had heard of a Dybbuk before because there's a movie called Dybbuk. So a Dybbuk is the name for a demon or a lost spirit in Jewish mythology. And it means attached like, so the the early idea was that a soul that didn't move on would attach itself to somebody and you'd have to kind of shake it off. Yeah. Right? Yep. That's the kind of sterilized, friendly version of what a Dybbuk is. A westernized version of it, for sure. No, not necessarily. But there's a more specific way that... Oh, okay. In mythology, anyway, in yep. in old texts, that a, a, a dibic attaches itself to somebody. Okay. How how does that happen? I'm just going to read a little passage here. <laughs> okay. 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 Welcome to Dybbuk Theater. And I'm going to tell you that I got this from the British Jewish Historical Museum website. Okay. This is not from some cranky is, Tumblr or something. This is 
Jewish folklore. Traditionally, Dybbuks tended to be male spirits who possessed a woman on the eve of their wedding, typically in a sexual fashion, by entering the woman through their vaginas. And in psychological literature of the time, the Dybbuk was seen as a hysterical syndrome. Wow. Like how I glossed over the vagina thing. (laughs) That has a million things all wrapped up in it. I know. I know. Like, wow. But- it makes them saying that maybe she's possessed by a Dybbuk make more sense since it she's does. about to get married. It does. And she seems hysterical. Yeah. Right? But then the Dybbuk, as you know it, and as a lot of people know it, is more like a demon. Yes. Right? Because that's kind of the westernized, modernized, sort of urban legend, internet legend version of it. Yeah. Because of that stupid Dybbuk box. Yes. Yeah, so... In 2008? Was it 2008? No, 2003. Okay. A furniture restorer named Kevin Manis buys a wine cabinet at a garage sale. Yep. Literally at a garage sale. And thinks, I'm going to do some restoration on this and fix it up. And I'm going to put it on eBay and call it a Dybbuk box. And write this whole story about how it's possessed. And it holds the souls of these Holocaust victims. And I'm going to put a stone in there and some hair I cut off my dog. And it's like interactive fiction. Yeah. Okay. To make money. To make money. He never claimed it was real, just didn't say that it wasn't, right? Yep. Somebody buys it for 280 bucks. It passes through a bunch of people's hands and ends up in the hands of this guy named Jason Haxton, who owns an osteopathy museum. Okay. And he's like, this thing's actually evil. It does all kinds of bad things. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. But he then sells the story rights yeah. to a production company, and Sam Raimi makes a movie called The Possession about it. Yes. This this is what's interesting to me. Kevin Manis sold it for 280 bucks. Yes. Now, he bought the cabinet at the garage sale for $10, so he made a good profit. He did. But Jason Haxton made a much bigger profit off of his 280 bucks when he sold the rights. How much did he sell the rights for? Undisclosed amount in six figures. Jeez. For something somebody else made up that you bought on eBay, that's not even true. I need to be selling Xander's textbooks on eBay. And saying they're possessed. (laughs) Full of angst about how hard finite math is. (laughs) I couldn't believe. And here's the other thing is that Jason Haxton, who who bought it and then sold the rights, that guy, the second guy, well, he's not even the second guy to own it. The final guy to own it. Also wrote a book. Yeah. Called he, called the possession the the and right now on Amazon it's four hundred and ninety nine dollars it and is, it's a paperback I don't get it it is boondoggle from the highest level well now that guy who does the ghost shows owns it Zach Baggins okay he's he's he sounds like a Lord of the Rings character but he's not that's why I always have trouble with his name <laughs> why is there a YouTube video entitled Post Malone was cursed. By a haunted Dybbuk box. Yes, because he went to Zach Baggins' museum of fake haunted crap and touched it and then claimed bad stuff happened to him afterwards. (laughs) Why are we talking about Post Malone on this podcast? (laughs) Because Devra's possessed by a Dybbuk, otherwise known as poisonous face cream and bad boyfriend. This is, this is the problem I have with this episode, okay? The problem I have with this episode is they have a mystical book with mystical stuff. Mm-hmm. They have Dybbuk possession. And none of it is... They have all this great stuff they're setting that it up, they could use. And then they just drop it. And then they throw trade unionists at us. Because, Mark, the real evil in the world is greed. 
Oh, okay. I That's thought it the was, real Dybbuk. I thought it was arsenic steam shirts. <laughs> By greed. <laughs> yes. It's really down to a bad dad. It's a bad dad. Bad dads ruin everything. Why in the morgue, when Julia and the rabbi are being such good friends, does she feel the need to pick up a bunch of innards and play peekaboo with them? I don't know, but it's not the it's not the morgue of romance of romance anymore. She does though, doesn't she? She the looks scene. through his innards. I don't know what organ that is supposed to be, but she picks it up and like looks through it like peekaboo. <laughs> And she's like, I know what killed him. It was arsenic. The mystical game of peekaboo reveals the answer to her. Yeah. Put the guts down, Julia. (laughs) After you've had this long conversation about the tradition of making sure that the body is complete and that even every drop of blood is returned, would you be playing peekaboo with his guts? No. (laughs) Certainly not smelling his stomach milk. (laughs) Oh, God. Why do you have to keep bringing that up? Every time you say that, everybody listening throws up just a little bit in their mouth. Thank you. Okay, (laughs) Mr. Bagelman is the stereotypical boss and bad dad. She's hysterical. She's impressionable. She shouldn't be accepting gifts. That kid's not good enough for her. I'm going to lock my people up. (laughs) Hey, if you're bad in one area, you know, you're not going to be a horrible dad and a really generous boss. You just you're just bad in every way, and Bagelman's bad in every way. Yeah, he's a big jerk in a coat that doesn't fit him very well. Yeah, he's a baddie. He's certainly a baddie. Never mind. Meantime, Deborah's dreaming of Nathan waking up in the morgue. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Ooh. Go back to sleep, sweetheart. Here's here's some more sleeping drugs. Let me just inject you That's with this. That's a weird, weird thing. Okay, but here's what it made me think of because I'm a horrible person. We're horrible people. We've just had the discussion about how important it is to keep the body complete for Jewish tradition. We're horrible people. How does that apply to zombies? I don't know, but now I can't stop thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Like, do you have to be complete when you're buried the first time? But then if you come back and parts start falling off, it's okay. Or would you have zombies like picking up their bits and carrying them around because they know that it's important that they be complete? My but first they'd have th- to know they're dead to do that. I don't. My first thought was, are zombies that are Jewish better? Like They're more complete. They're more complete. Yeah. They might last longer yeah. as zombies. So if you're a zombie lord going to raise hordes of the dead. Yeah. If you're a necromancer. But they're also, they're not preserved before they're buried. That's true. So they'd probably be more rotten because they don't have the formaldehyde stuff. They're oh. not, uh, what is, what's the word when you. Preserved. No, the other word. Pickled. No. <laughs> <laughs> not Pickled. When a mortician prepares a body embalmed, thank you. Pickled. (laughs) They're not embalmed. So they might be. That might be my best joke (laughs) in a long time. So they might be a bit more puddly when they come back. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) It's just different traditions, you know. And then there are the people who go for the natural burial, you know, who get buried under a tree. Yeah. And they come back as zombies with trees growing out of them. It's heavy to drag around a tree with you yes. when you're trying to eat brains. Sarah, what is the problem you had with the last episode? Other than Enid's in it? Uh, yes, other than Enid's in it. I don't know. There were too few characters. Yes. So we need more characters yes. in this episode. So let's get Sam involved now. I like Sam. And Sam pulls off 
black eye makeup very well. He does. They do a really good job with him after he gets beat up. He does. He's reading a Jewish newspaper, Mm -hmm. and I went to find Jewish newspapers in Canada at this time, and the closest I could find was the Yiddisher Zernal mm-hmm. from 1910 to 1975. Actually produced roughly 200 yards from where I used to live in Toronto. Oh. The last so, place I lived So in, in reality, it started after this episode yeah. is set. But I would imagine they had underground or more local papers. That's a kind of official paper. But Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. So Sam and Nathan both worked at the factory that Mr. Bagelman runs. It's a sweatshop, not just because it's hot and steamy, but because he makes people work long hours, underpays them, and chains them in. He locks the doors to not let people come and go. And then he has his thug, Jersey, the doorman. Why is he called Jersey? That's his first name. (laughs) I know it's his first name. He's Polish. I keep thinking Jersey Shore. Jersey Poslowski. Yes. who, Who answers the door. He's busy. And George is like, move aside. Like, you go, George. Later, you're going to tackle that guy and call him a bastard. George is copity cop cop in this episode. He is. So Sam and Nathan both work there. Yep. They're the two young guys. Yes. They're older than the children who work in the factory. Yes. (laughs) But they're the young guys. So one of the things that happens is that the church, the synagogue is being sold and they've bought an old church. Mm-hmm. Now, where that money comes from and how the rabbis involved with that is all kind of hush-hush. But I did a search on synagogues in Toronto, and there wasn't a synagogue at this point in time. So this was like a... It's hard to say it's not official because wherever the Torah is and wherever there's... ten. Ten people to ten pray. Ten people to pray. It's a synagogue. Yeah. But it was Well, and it's clear that the space they're meeting in now isn't... A traditional synagogue. It's not a, a purpose-built space. It's yes. somebody's dining room or something. Yes. And yeah. it wasn't until the 1910s and 20s that they began actually building synagogues in Toronto, which I walked past several times, including the first one. So as someone who lived in Toronto, I didn't realize it was a synagogue, but it isn't now. But it's Toronto, so it's apartments now. Because everything gets turned everything into apartments. Everything gets turned into apartments in Toronto. And we find out that Devra has purchased the worst beauty product ever. <laughs> if you have to sign the poison book to buy face cream, don't buy that. The Song of Solomon Beauty Arsenic Treatment. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it romantic? <laughs> Lips like wine, face like death. You too will glow until you die. Yeah. It's like when they used to use, um, oh, that uh, like uranium lace stuff yes because it made your face glow yeah yeah because you got radioactive eyelids lady they're gonna rot off so So she bought the skin cream so the skin cream that has the symbol on it on the top that means arsenic but everybody's like well if you rearrange the lines it makes a star okay no not really but all right and it's again it's Arsenic poisoning, alchemic, got the ghost possession, you've got the bad book. There's so much good stuff here. Never mind, greedy. Yep. Greedy bad dad. Never mind, greedy. (laughs) When Tom, George, and Murdoch are talking about the case in the cop shop, Henry is behind them talking on the phone. Now, what he's doing is taking a report that Sam has been beaten up. Yes. But you don't know that when he's on the phone. And what it looks like is he's having the best gossip session. Yes, he is. He's holding that phone like, girl, then what happened? (gasps) 
Oh my gosh, he's, really? He's doing some some <laughs> background acting. Yes. He's back there like, watermelon? 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 Whoa, watermelon? Because that's what you say when you're background acting. So Goldberg <laughs> comes to the station and tells Murdoch that he didn't kill Nate. I've just come here to tell you I didn't kill anyone. And I have in my notes at this point in time, is Murdoch susceptible to good acting? I think he is. Because now this is a trope, right? The trope is, and it's... Two men here, but usually it's a man who's interrogating a woman. Mm -hmm. And she goes, I couldn't have done it. I'm just not that kind of person. And suddenly the detective is like, I believe her. Yeah, I I don't think she's This is nothing like reality. Because reality reality knows that good acting. That people can lie. That people can lie. Yeah. So in reality, everything's based on evidence because it has to be. Right. But, and this is more dramatic. We're, that's what I'm saying. But it's still funny to say, is Mordok susceptible? Mordok? Is, is he Murdoch, a wizard now? <laughs> Mordok. Is Murdoch susceptible to good acting? Yes. If Goldberg was less convincing, he might think he was still a suspect. Yes. But Goldberg is a good actor, played by Jonathan Walk, And so he's convincing. So let's go give Mr. Jersey a visit. <laughs> the big bastard. Get back here, you big bastard. George. Because he tries to run. Where is he going to go? The place is so crowded. Yep. So then it cuts to the back to, to the station and George is all beat up. And the interrogation room. Yep. Ooh, Jersey makes a big mistake. Oh, he spits on the floor. In front of Tom. Yeah. Ooh. You don't do that? No. He's going to have to wipe it up with his own hat. But then he's like, they're like, oh, you're in trouble for murder. He's like, oh, I'll tell you everything. Yeah. (laughs) No. What do you want to know? I'll tell you. Please let me go. Let me clean that spit up before I go. He says that Goldberg and Biggleman are buying up properties together because they know they're going to be demolished and then new development's going to come in. So they're going to make money because the the value of the land is going to go This happened several times. It happens all the time. It's happening right now everywhere all the time. So it's not a big surprise and it's not against the law necessarily. No. Right. If you're paying a fair price for what it's worth, the fact that the value goes up later is not a crime. However, Bagelman is a bad guy. If you beat up people and poison them That's for starting bad. up a union and sell your daughter. Twice. <laughs> Twice. That's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. Because... One of the letters that's in Nathan's mysterious book that isn't mysterious is a marriage contract for Deborah and Nathan to get married that apparently was created on the boat coming over from Europe yeah. by their fathers. Yeah, that whole thing is like hand wavy. <laughs> yeah, don't look over here. <laughs> Pay no attention to what's going on here. I think it's really stupid that Murdoch's notes on the board just happened to make a star of David. That is the worst part of the episode. That is so over the top. That's pandering. Not Love. pandering. Not pandering. It's a bit. <sighs> it's heavy handed. It's heavy handed. Yeah. Love triangle. Yes. That's a triangle. Yeah. But then there's an inverted triangle on top of it for a yeah, different relationship. It, it just, and it just uh, happens to make a star. Yeah. Come on. Can we get to my favorite scene now? Yeah. <laughs> When Murdoch and Enid go for tea again. <laughs> the tea shop of Dumptown. <laughs> and he breaks up with her, but not really. Oh. Ah! <laughs> I so wanted that to be real. So. and Does he invite her out for tea to tell her that they're done? 
and then just weenies out? I think that's what he does. I think so too. I think he's fantasizing about saying, I'm sorry, but I'm not over her. But then he weenies out and gets distracted by his own case. So he doesn't do it. And like, I don't like Enid. (laughs) But her whole point is, you're a policeman. I'm worried about you. You make bad decisions because you're a policeman. And he's like, steam, I'm out of here. He does a Barnaby. Proving, he totally pulls a Barnaby. Proving he is not a good person to be in a relationship with Enid, so she should go away forever. Yeah. So he chooses the tea shop as the place that he's going to break up with her. Yes. Is a tea shop a good place to break up with somebody? Well, I got to say, I've been broken up with a lot. I'm here to say. We don't want to name names. We don't need to name names. <laughs> it was way back when. Way back when. Before I knew you. Before you knew me. And... Uh, yeah, tea shop's pretty good because it's public, it's quick. It's not like you uh, went to dinner with the person. You don't have to sit through dessert after having broken up. Oh. The awkward, oh, right? Yeah. And it's a relatively quiet and genteel place, so you yeah. can't make a scene. Yeah. Though, if you chose to, there's a lot to break. There is a lot to break. <laughs> Enid could totally flip that table. <laughs> but I might like her if she did <laughs> She's like, oh, that red-haired hussy doctor ah, throws the table, breaks the china. She touches dead people. <laughs> <laughs> and you pick her over me. We'd be like, oh, wait a minute. Can, let's keep Enid. We like yeah. her. So are there, I don't know, that that's a risk. I think Enid is a very reserved person. I think he can trust that she's not going to do that. Yes. But that's that's not necessarily, I mean, are there other places, like, are there worse places? Like, because if she, if she did lose it, that's a bad place to be. Because you're going to make a scene in society in front of dainty ladies who are going to talk. You don't want to dump someone at the gun range. No, no. <laughs> no. Let's agree that if you're going to dump somebody, you need to take them someplace where you're it's in public. Pu- you're in public. And whatever it is you're going to do as kind of a cover for the conversation has to be something that can be brief. And short, yeah, short right? term activities. And you can go. Yeah. So. And don't engage in the activity for a long time and then dump them. Right. Like, don't be like, I know we just sat through a four-hour movie, but... That breaks the long yeah. the long time rule, yeah. right? It has to be a short time. So don't meet at the knife shop. No, not that at would, the knife shop. That would be bad. Yes. Um, I think it would be good to meet, meet outside someplace that then only you can go into and they can't follow you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Like, hey, babe, I'd like to meet you outside the strip club. We just got a little thing to talk about before I. And then you run inside and she won't follow you into the strip club? I, I guess not. That's not something that actually happened to me. Like you could say, I, I, I want to I wanna meet my boyfriend out in front of the OBGYN office. Because then he'll think maybe I'm pregnant. But maybe. really, I'm just breaking up with him. Or, or worse. And he'll be relieved. And then I can run inside and he can't follow me. Worse. Baby, can you meet me in front of the jeweler? We got something to talk about. <laughs> He's going to propose. He's going to propose. No, I'm just breaking up with Welcome you. Welcome to Dumpstown. I need a new watch. <laughs> That's a bad idea, too. <laughs> Nowhere where you're meeting on a high ledge. No. Where they definitely. can shove you over. Definitely. So don't meet on a bridge, the Eiffel Tower, on a cliff. Yeah. That would be a bad place. They're all bad places. <laughs> no precarious places. I know we just started this transatlantic voyage, but... Uh, uh, now we're trapped on this boat together for six months after we've broken Ooh. up. 
Awkward. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. So the, uh, all in all, the tea shop is not a bad place. No. But then he weenies out and doesn't oh. do it. But he sort of does do it. Yes. Because he runs off. I think he ditches her with the bill for the tea. Oh, he totally ditches her with the bill. The cloud of death. Oh, no, that's a future episode that's actually good. So Bagelman poisons the steam machine with his daughter's face cream to kill the pro-union worker. I'm telling you, I'm not wearing those shirts. <laughs> those shirts would be lethal. Yep. They'd be worse than licking that book. Yeah. You get a little bit warm and the arsenic starts to come out of the fabric. You start to feel bad. Yeah. You get a little bit sweatier. You get no. more arsenic. No. And then you get killed by your own shirt. You're killed by your own shirt. Never mind that whoever ironed it is dead already. Ugh. Your shirt would. And, and the guy in the machine next to him and the guy like. And the Everybody child in next that room him, would be steamed in, to death. They're locked in. Of course it's going to be a death trap. And then you buy the shirt that's been steamed by the dead people who were murdered for being pro-union, you get poisoned by the arsenic, and you start to get weak, and then their dibbics attach to you because you're wearing the shirt. Yep. Invading your private parts. And then it's the just doctor, a bad scene. Then the doctor shows up and shoots everybody. I don't like character X arrives at the end and shoots person. It's, it's a trope. And it's an easy way out of the episode. Before we get to that, can we talk a little bit about how bad Bagelman is? Well, okay. <laughs> I think we have in that he's sold his daughter twice. Mm-hmm. Okay. He locks people into the room. Okay. Yep. He has a guy. Well, once you have hired a person to do physical harm to other people, you're officially moving on from the good guy list to the bad guy list. Okay. Okay. Then, then he puts the stuff in the steam. Before that, though, he tells his daughter, I want you to look beautiful on your wedding day to this guy I sold you to. <laughs> so go buy some poisonous face cream and wear it yeah. so that I can take some of it and use it to murder somebody. He totally frames his own daughter. And convinces her to buy something because it will make her pretty. That will actually make her sick. And he yeah. knows that. Yeah. He gets his daughter to buy his murder weapon for him. Yeah. That's so bad. It's so bad. And it, it would confuse all the cops who went around to all the different stores to ask. Because they're not looking for face cream. No. But again, if you have to sign the poison book to buy the face cream, don't buy it. If you have to sign the poison book to buy something and it doesn't end up being rats, there's a problem. But it's like... As a parent, if you bought your child a giant set of Legos that they've always wanted and they're so excited about it, and then while they're at school, you build a machete of Legos and kill somebody with it and then put the Legos back in the box. I don't know where it happened. Uh, the kid brought them in the house, not me. Yeah, it must have been Bobby. Bobby did it with the, mach horrible. the Lego machete. He's horrible. I did try to find a poison book. Mm-hmm. I would love to get one of those. They're super boring. Yeah, well, no, it's just a list of people's names. And but, what they bought. But I wanted the the cover. Oh, yeah. Well, and some of them, the more advanced ones, instead of having to write arsenic on the line, they have a list yes. of the poisons, and yeah. you just check the box you and write in the number of ounces that they bought. Yes. So you could see all the possible poisons that somebody might carry in their store. The fantastic world of apothecaries. <laughs> yes, exactly. Can you put that in a face cream for me? How about steam? So big, 
you don't you don't like the shows up and shoot people. I understand that, but I would argue that Bagelman is actually a good person. Bagelman? No, no, sorry, Goldberg. Okay, Goldberg is a good person. Goldberg is misogynistic of his time. Mm-hmm. He is not enti- no worse than anybody else in his and time. He is entitled and privileged of his time. Yes, his race and his status. Yes. All of those things. Yes. In the end, I think he loves Deborah. Not in a healthy way. Not in a healthy way. But he way. does love her. Yep. And he sacrifices himself yep. for her future. Yes. Because he knows whether he marries her or not, she still has an epic asshole as a dad. Yep. And so now she doesn't. And something's got to happen. Never mind Deborah's mom. Where's Deborah's Where mom? Where's Deborah's mom? We have to assume that she's gone. Yeah, we have to assume. I'm assuming the bagelman just like her. Nathan's dad. You sold our daughter. Oh, come here. Let's stand by the edge of the boat. <laughs> I have some face cream for you to try. <laughs> Let me steam your shirt. Wear it out in the sun. Okay. So now Deborah's going to take over the factory, and she's pro union, by the way. Yep. <laughs> just well, so, just so you know. I think Deborah and Sam are going to get together and have awesome family that's what i think they could run a really good factory together run a great factory you know maybe clean that one machine (laughs) who's gonna inherit all of goldberg's real estate like will dever get it because they because bagelman and goldberg bought him together maybe do you think he wrote a a quick will before he went off and shot her dad i don't know i hope he did she but she may just be broken for life though yeah when when you have to face up to the fact that your dad poisoned the love of your life and was then shot by your fiance that's a lot with stuff he asked you to buy Yeah. yeah using a weapon that he tricked you into buying that's complicated. She's going to need some therapy. Do you I think, think Jersey keeps his job or? No. He gets a new job. I don't know. Jersey strikes me as the big, dumb, loyal lug. Yeah. So he knows that Bagelman and Goldberg were doing bad things. So I think if Devra talked to him and said, okay, Jersey, they were bad. Yeah, bad guys. Yeah. What they were doing was wrong. 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 Wrong, go- wrong bad guys. Wrong bad guys. We don't do that stuff anymore. Okay. Okay. I work in factory. I want you to actually protect the people who work here now instead of trying to trap them. Okay. Okay. I think he'd do it. Okay. I think he'd actually be handy to have around. And don't spit on the floor anymore. Yes. Okay. Or you'll have to use your hat to clean it up. Clean it up. Murdoch's going to try to write another letter. He's hopeless. Oh. Dear Julia, I have become aware of the fact that while prevaricating on the status of our pre-romantic canoodling... (laughs) And the episode kind of goes... The end. Yeah. It just kind of like, shoot, funeral, type, end. Yeah. It's... Meanwhile, Enid's flipping tables in tea shops. (laughs) So mad. She runs up, just knocks a coffin off of their arms. I'm so angry. (laughs) Her and her kid just storming around town. Oh, again, this is another episode of... Well, we can't afford to pay the kid, so he's not alive anymore. She could become a villain, an anti-police vigilante villain, because she doesn't like their lifestyle. Next year, we'll get to a fantastic female villain for Murdoch. If we cover another season and whenever, but yeah. Yeah. I I think they could have done that with Enid, because she's lost a man that she loves to his career. But then she'd have to be in more episodes, and I hate her so much. That's true. 
That's true. It's only one left. Maybe maybe her son, Alwyn, could grow up and he could be the bad guy. Okay. Best corpse. We've covered that because there's only one corpse. It, not He's not just the best corpse because he's the only corpse. He's the best corpse because he wakes up. He wakes up. <laughs> he's got the Y incision and everything and his the eyes go. The weirdest moment of the episode. I wanted him to sit up so bad and go, uh, brains. <laughs> Julie would be like, I have some in a jar over here. Hold on. Yes. I'll get them for you. Eat these. They're, they're Protestant brains. They're pickled. <laughs> num num. <laughs> they're not embalmed. They're just And pickled. we kind of covered after the credits. Yeah, we did. Well, the episode kind of does it for us. Yes. So that is Ask the Maiden yes. and the killer Lego machete. <laughs> What's up next, sweetheart? Next, we have... Season two, episode 12, Werewolves, mm-hmm. which is the final Enid episode. Does she get eaten? I don't care that there are werewolves. Does she get eaten by a werewolf? Does she become a werewolf and get shot? If only. Please. Can we rewrite it? And that'll come out the 2nd of October, which is Spooky Month. Spooktober. Uh, We'll have a newsletter on the 4th of October. And then on the 9th of October, we will finish off season two of Murdoch with episode 13, Anything You Can Do. I Can Do Better. Sibling rivalry with a brother who's a Mountie. With a brother who's a Mountie. And there is a whole backstory that Americans watching this show will go, oh, he has a brother, he's a Mountie. Never mind that there was a show called Due South in which he played a Canadian cop who worked with an American We can talk co- about that, that then. Like, there's a million things to talk about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then we're off on the 16th. Mm-hmm. And then on the 23rd, we're going to start Father Brown. Mm-hmm. Now, we did Father Brown episode one, season one already. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to change that episode a bit. I'm going to remix it a bit. So so it won't be a brand new episode, but if you've listened to it before, I would say you should listen to it again. Maybe I'll throw some bloopers in there, too. Sorry, I was still thinking remix. Yes, maybe I'll throw some bloopers in there, too. That'll be fun. Yep, and that'll be released on the 23rd, uh, but it won't be a new episode, but it'll be a remixed version of an old episode, and then we're off, of course. (laughs) For Halloween. October 30th, we're off that day. Wiki wiki. Wiki wiki wiki. And uh, that schedule in all its complexity, of course, will be in the next newsletter, too. It was in the last newsletter, but it'll yeah. be in the next newsletter, too. Remember to like, subscribe, click the buttons, all those hearts. Say awesome things on Reddit. Say awesome things on Reddit. <laughs> Until then. Uh, I do want to say we'll probably be uh, putting uh, some spit and polish on the socials for when we switch to Father Brown, because mm-hmm. uh, we always do that. When we switch it up, we make them a little different. So Yeah, and hey, send us a message about where you think the worst place to break up with somebody would be. Oh, yeah, I'd love to hear that. Because, you know, gun range is a pretty pretty bad one, but gun, what's worse? Gun range is pretty bad. <laughs> All right, until then, bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Wicka, wicka. Boom, boom, chuka, chuka, boom. Remix, get it? <laughs> And the history of Hebrew manuscripts. He, the history of Hebrew manuscripts.